Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Uh, you know, the, first of all, prayers for Jimmy Carter. He has been hospitalized again. Some some cranial bleeding after his fall. Uh, want him to get better for sure. But the, the story this morning, there are several non-political stories that are actually pretty big this morning. The first one's the weather. It is as cold in Middle Texas as it is in Chicago right now. Seven degrees uh, down in Texas, seven degrees in Chicago. This cold front is making its way through Georgia. The rain is clearing out now uh, in the Rome, Adairsville, Dalton area. But uh, just to give you an idea of where the front lies, uh, it's raining here in Macon and 54. It's raining in Athens. It's 50 degrees. Uh, But it's clearing out in Atlanta and Adairsville and Rome. It's down into the 30s already. Um, 30 degrees in Blue Ridge, uh, Carrollton's 36, Clarksville is 41 and still raining. The, the front will be pushing on through there. And then in South Georgia, you got 61 in Eastman, 66 in, in Valdosta, 64 in Vidalia. The sun's still shining there. That's going to change. Uh, it is going to get cold. It is going to get windy. I mean, just to give you a sense of things, uh, in Vidalia right now, it is sunshiny. By noon, it'll be, it's 64 in in Vidalia right now. Uh, It is sunshiny there. By noon, it'll be 63 and raining. And then this evening, it'll get down uh, to near freezing temperatures. Valdosta, very much the same way. It's just, it's cold and wet out there. Uh, It is going to dry out through the day, thankfully. Uh, north, the very far north part of Georgia saw some snowflakes apparently, uh, but it is going to, it's going to dry. Thankfully, uh, wherever you are, it'll dry throughout the day by and large. So you're not going to have to worry about slick roads tonight. Uh, but just be careful out there. Stay bundled up. Uh, right now you're here. If you're hearing my voice in the morning, uh, you've got your high temperature and it's all downhill from here everywhere in the state. Now, the other news that we need to talk about, and I realize you, you expect me to come in and talk about what well, there's a big story about Joe Biden. Uh, Pete Buttigieg versus Mike Bloomberg is a story. Democrats are looking for a savior. Will Deval Patrick or even Michelle Obama now his name getting in? Uh, what about the AJC poll of impeachment in Georgia? What about impeachment? We'll get to all of that stuff. Uh, every once in a while, though, there are some cultural moments uh, where there are stories that seem not to be big stories and they actually are big stories. This is when I followed regularly on the program. And today is the day. Disney Plus has launched. Uh, this is not an ad for Disney Plus. In fact, uh, Good Morning America, which is owned by Disney, oh, it's an ABC product. ABC is owned by Disney, gave this glowing, effusive praise for Disney Plus. And um, they, it, it just, I mean, it was it was like an ad campaign for it. Uh, no real objectivity in just how wonderful, grand, and glorious it would be. I will tell you, my son came downstairs this morning. He had about 30 minutes. He had done all of his homework. He had eaten his breakfast. He had gotten dressed. And he says, Dad, can we log into Disney Plus? I, I got an account um, about a month or two ago. And he wanted, he, he deleted Netflix from his iPad weeks ago because he didn't like the kids shows on Netflix anymore. He thought they were, they were dumbed down. They were stupid and uh, that they, they were kind of offensive to him, some of them. And so he really wants to watch Disney. I was like, Oh, wait till you get into the culture warrior. You know, in our family, we don't watch Disney TV shows. Just so you understand um, the, the TV shows on the Disney channel, I think are indoctrination run amok. And if you read some of the terrible stuff 
that has happened behind the scenes uh, with some of these Disney shows and Nickelodeon shows uh, and, and the people who star on them. I, I want nothing to do with it. And I've explained the situation to my kids. They want nothing to do with it. Heck, half the Disney shows, you can't tell who's the boy and who's the girl. And they're not into any of that. But the Marvel movies, they loved. Uh, my son and I are interested in The Mandalorian. And so Disney's launching Disney Plus. It comes out today. Uh, Netflix stock. We'll find out what happens to it today. Uh, Disney is undercutting Netflix. Uh, you know, Apple TV came out, uh, did not meet with very good reviews. It does not have a very deep library of stuff. And its shows aren't that good. I got to say, uh, so I've been watching C and The Morning Show on Apple TV+. Plus. The, the entire Apple TV thing is so screwed up. You've got Apple TV, which is a physical hardware device. You've got Apple TV is an app for your iOS device and now for your Mac software as well. You've got Apple TV+, Plus, which is... Um, it is the premium product, the Jennifer Aniston show, the show about the blind people, uh, things like that. Uh, then you've also got Apple TV, which they just generically call the service. And the shows thus far that I have seen, I, I got into the morning show, but the way it's developing, it's like uh, woke people trying not to be woke and it's starting to get on my nerves how everything's got to be politicized uh politics has to weave into it and, and then the the c stuff i just find it it more and more offensive particularly as uh religion is explored in the show it, i it's deeply demented to me and offensive to me and i'm not sure i can continue watching it i'll give it another episode or see to, to, to episode or show to see how things shake out but uh, Disney is probably going to be the one that trumps them all. And TV networks have been nervous about Disney coming out because you're going to be able to get Hulu and ESPN. Uh, ESPN, of course, and in the Hulu situation, they're taking on live sports. I know more and more people who are canceling their cable TV packages for these streaming services, in particular, now that they can get sports. I've got several friends who try to get sports on these services. Now, you can't really escape the cable company because so many of you have uh, cable providers. If you're up in Northeast Georgia, though, if you've got that god awful Windstream service, you, you have no idea what I'm talking about, even when it comes to Netflix, probably. Man, that service. I don't know anybody who likes that service. I mean, and, and no offense if you do, but I, I, I literally know not a single person who likes that service. In fact, Doug Collins and I, uh, the congressman up there, he and I have, have had conversations on this program where he has tried to describe just how awful it is. And I'm glad I've got a got a cable modem internet connection. Nonetheless, um, the, the reason I'm starting the show with this is because we're kind of at another great unraveling point. And Netflix has been there in the background growing. More and more people have been uh, embracing Netflix. But you know Netflix still makes a significant business off its DVD rentals. I think my mom still gets uh, DVD rentals from Netflix. Not uh, the streaming service. She doesn't have the streaming service, but she's got the, she gets the DVDs from them. And that in and of itself was disruptive in that it helped finish off Blockbuster. I, you know, so there's this scene in uh, Captain Marvel where Captain Marvel, it takes place in the 1990s and she crashes into Earth and lands in a Blockbuster video location. And my wife and I have had to explain to the kids what that is. They have no knowledge of it. 
Uh, they, they don't know what it is to go to a video store. We, we don't even do the red box thing. There are red box things all over the city, but we don't go to them because we get everything off of Netflix or uh, more often than not off of iTunes. I actually ordered a Blu-ray DVD the other day of a classic film that I love to show my kids. They wanted to watch a thriller. I didn't want to show them anything current. Uh, so I overnighted from Amazon a Blu-ray and we had to use, I don't even have a Blu-ray player in the house. We had to use the Xbox to play the movie. We are definitely in a situation of great unraveling, and I am 44, and if you're about 10 years older than me, uh, you will probably stay with cable forever. If you are my age, you are probably wondering, uh, when can I cut the cord? Should I cut the cord? I've got DirecTV at my house, uh, and I pay a bunch for it, and I probably should cancel it because I never actually use it. The only time I ever use DirecTV is uh, when I'm on this program and I've got to stream something live. If there's a breaking news on C-SPAN or something, I can use my DirecTV account, and then if I'm I'm sitting on the front porch with my Apple TV, I can plug in all my credentials and get any sport I want, sit on the front porch, uh, watching TV, smoke cigars, have a glass of bourbon, which I did the other night, and I, I can do it, but I'm, I'm starting to wonder why I keep that expensive package, particularly now that Disney's going to offer me Hulu and ESPN. If you're younger than me, some of you don't even have cable. You've never had a landline phone. You, you, you don't know what's up. You, you, you've got no idea. And I, this is why I'm fascinated by this, uh, because we're, we're in, this transcends into politics in this way. There are more and more conversations out there uh, in uh, civic organizations, civic conversation, political conversation on what do you do with the displaced workers? Technology is killing off whole industries, and it looks like the cable package is going to be in, in maybe even local TV and ABC, CBS, and NBC. Maybe all of these things are at risk because of the Disney Plus package and the Netflix package and the Apple TV Plus package and all the other packages coming out. Disney has one that could be completely disruptive even to Netflix um, because Disney has such intellectual property. Netflix has been investing in some intellectual property. They've been paying through the nose to get licenses to other programs to get people to hang on. But how many people are going to hang on to Netflix? I wouldn't bet against Netflix, but it's spending way more money than it has subscriber revenue right now. And that suggests there's going to be a long-term problem as opposed to Disney, which has a film division, which has now the Disney T Disney Plus service, which has the theme park division. And so Disney has other areas by which they can make money other than subscribers off of the Disney Plus service so that they can make more and better content. And then it, all of Disney's popular films. I mean, Disney's had more films that have earned a billion dollars this year than all the other studios combined. And they can all come to the Disney Plus service and, and create more and more of a, a service that you go to. Now, already progressives are saying maybe we need to break up Disney. Maybe we need to break up Disney. Disney may have a monopoly. Disney could get it. Disney has a monopoly. They, they can control the box office. Except the problem is that the people saying this, they don't really understand how it works. Uh, creativity is always going to flow. 
and Apple or Netflix or CBS Viacom or NBC Universal, all these other companies that are coming out with uh, products, they may come out with a superior product. Right now, Disney is so dominant, not because it's bought up everyone else, but because Disney is dominant at telling stories. And I'm, I'm worried watching the Apple TV product move forward. I'm a little bit worried and concerned with where Disney may go. It, it, it's Marvel. Uh, the, the first and second phases of its Marvel series have not been very woke. Uh, they've been very entertaining, but there are these continuous ongoing demands now with Marvel uh, to make it more woke, to be more representative, to have transgender characters and openly gay characters and on and on. There's a big push to have Captain Marvel come out as gay. Uh, Disney itself has said they're not very happy with Brie Larson. She got too political. They didn't like the politicization, and yet now they're almost held hostage by it. Uh, I, I wonder how long Disney can avoid making the Marvel series woke. And uh, we see time and time again when these series go woke that they go broke. And we're seeing this, I think, possibly with, with Apple TV. Already the head of Apple TV is left today. Uh, going to, to back to a studio to develop projects that Apple will have first right of refusal on, but leaving the service. And then there's Netflix still trying to cater to everyone. But increasingly as well, what we continue to see in these services is they certainly cater to the left. They are of the left. They have a mindset of the left. Uh, certainly they say they're open to all comers, but increasingly I don't know that they actually are. If any of them can get a play for middle America, though, I suspect it's going to be Disney Plus, and it's going to be deeply disruptive to other streaming services, to Netflix. It's going to be disruptive to cable TV packages. It's going to be disrupted to uh, everything other than ABC because they own ABC. It's going to be very interesting to see this dynamic shape up. Uh, Disney Plus came out this morning. I think it's $7.99, which undercuts Netflix. If you want a family package, I think it's $11. It still undercuts Netflix. And in my house, uh, both of my kids are starting to think, Dad, why do we have Netflix? Well, we have Netflix because there's still stuff on Netflix their mom and I like to watch. But increasingly so, I don't know that that'll be the case. And when HBO Max comes out, where you've got all of HBO's content, Cinemax content, and all the other Warner content from AT&T, you're going to further undermine uh, Netflix. But the question will remain, what happens in the rest of the industry? And I don't know that anyone has answers for it. However... Let me leave you with this before we actually move on to other topics. And another reason why I'm so fascinated by this topic. There is a prevailing opinion, probably for most of you, that as we become a more efficient and technological society, more and more people are going to be out of the workforce and sitting on the sidelines. That appears to actually not be happening. More and more data is showing that technology and innovation is not actually causing people to drop out of the workforce. What it is causing, though, and this is very interesting, what it is causing is poor people more likely to have to rely on automated and technological services and richer people being able to access human beings. We are having more and more bifurcation in our marketplace where the more well-to-do are able to access one-on-one -on -one and, and have an interaction with people. And the rest of us have to call Bank of America and get the computer voice where you give them your – where you try to yell to them or give them your account number and the stupid thing can't understand. And you got to wait and wait and wait and wait to get a live operator to do anything. It's going to be interesting how this – that's happened in automation, it's happened in the workforce, it's happened in the blue-collar sector, it's happened in the white-collar sector, now transitions into the entertainment sector. Are we going to have entertainment by algorithm? That, again, is the one area where I suspect people, creative types, are going to have a good workforce, a good, good place in the workforce, because creativity transcends the algorithm. And the better you can tell a story, and you can always tell a story better than a computer— 
the more likely you'll be able to survive in the age of streaming. And that benefits all of us because good storytelling is what we all need these days as everything becomes more convoluted, abstract, uh, of questionable truth, of questionable sources. People are trying to get away from politics. They're trying to get away from the news headlines. They just want to be entertained. And some good storytellers could potentially entertain us in all this stuff, even if we're not getting cable TV packages anymore to watch it. This story fascinates me. Uh, The Daily Northwestern. Northwestern University is one of those prestigious schools, prestigious schools, one of those schools where the media goes. They have a journalism school that is highly regarded and well-respected. Your child can go and never learn a useful skill other than how to be a Democratic partisan hack in the media by going to Northwestern University. And going to their school of journalism, I mean, it is it's uh, it is the the uh, middle school of journalism, Medill. I don't know M E D I L L middle school of journalism. It is regularly regarded as the best journalism school in the country outside of Columbia. And the Daily Northwestern is the newspaper where the kids who want to get ahead. It's like uh, if you're a lawyer or you're familiar with law, you got a, a relative who is in, in law. It's like getting on law review in a law school, uh, working for the Daily Northwestern. It, it's that big a deal. The Daily Northwestern student newspaper is highly regarded. You work for that. You're going to get a job in any newsroom in America. And Jeff Sessions went to campus at Northwestern. To speak to the college Republicans, Jeff Sessions, of course, are now running for the Senate in Alabama. You know, I've had that in my show notes for the last several days that I needed to to uh, talk about it, that I needed to to um, to cover that story. And I just I hadn't had time. There's been so much other stuff going on. But Jeff Sessions is running for the Senate in Alabama now. He's made the rounds on TV. He's essentially defending the president in all of his rounds, wants to make people understand that uh, he supports the president. He's got no problems with the president well so he went to northwestern to speak to the college republicans and audacity of audacity the student newspaper at northwestern university dared to cover the event as a factual reporting event they didn't editorialize they talked about the event what he said student reaction to it coverage of the protesters all that well the Daily Northwestern Editorial Board has come out and apologized. Why? Because they triggered students at Northwestern. One area of our reporting that harmed many students was our photo coverage of the event. Some protesters found photos posted on the reporter's Twitter accounts re-traumatizing and invasive. Those photos have since been taken down. On one hand, as the paper of record for Northwestern, we want to ensure students, administrators, and alumni understand the gravity of the events that took place Tuesday night. However, we decided to prioritize the trust and safety of students who were photographed. We feel that covering traumatic events requires a different response than many other stories. While our goal is to document history and spread information, nothing is more important than ensuring that our fellow students feel safe. And in situations like this, that they are benefiting from our coverage rather than actively harmed by it. We failed to do that last week and we could not be more sorry. Y'all, all they did was cover the event. 
who, what, where, when, why, and how. They put up pictures of the event. But putting up pictures of Jeff Sessions with a bunch of college Republicans on campus, reminding people at Northwestern that people who disagree with them still go to school with them and haven't been thrown off campus, apparently was so triggering, the student newspaper is having to apologize for doing journalism. It's like Brian Stetler at CNN this morning is is covering the president and Sean Spicer and Dancing with the Stars while still apologizing and covering for ABC News, not covering the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. Won't even talk about that. It's triggering to journalists. Uh, Journalists are such a silly little bunch these days. Everyone should be embarrassed by this. When we come back, we should also be embarrassed by the Democratic primary. They're increasingly embarrassed by their own candidates. Well, we're having a Pete Buttigieg moment in the press. I mean, Pete Buttigieg continues to be a candidate that uh, rich white people like. And he's having all sorts of problems going beyond rich white people. In fact, millennials don't care for for Mayor Pete, and they like Bernie Sanders. But I got a theory. I got a theory on on people uh, that they want a president who's older than them. You know, I'm hitting that age now where I'm mindful there are people my age and uh, running for president. I'm like, no, they're supposed to be older than me. And I, I think that has that's one reason millennials, they're looking at me, they're like, my gosh, you're my age, you can't be president. Uh, but also, there, there's the issue of him being a, a, a white gay male f- from South Bend who has uh, interesting race relations in his city with police and a focus group of his own uh, from South Carolina that shows black voters are not keen on siding with an openly gay man who is married. It is amazing to watch the media push back on that. In fact, Jonathan Capehart, who is gay uh, and black, is is pushing back on that, saying it's not true. Uh, but then he lives in a, a rather progressive bubble. Uh, you go outside progressive coastal bubbles, and it does become a problem in the heartland uh, where the mayor would have to win. He can't just win uh, with coastal elites. He's got to win in places like South Carolina. He's got to win in Super Tuesday states uh, to go forward, and he's got some problems. But, man, the media loves the guy, uh, and, and they want to do everything possible that they can to help him. But he's out there, uh, is. Uh, attacking the economy, downplaying the economy, uh, wishing bad on the economy, claiming that people who are benefiting from the economy aren't benefiting from the economy. Lawrence Jones on Fox News really took this on. I want you to listen to what Mayor Pete had to say when asked about the president's record with African-Americans. Roll the tape, please. That doesn't mean that this presidency has been good news for black Americans. On the contrary, uh, we have seen uh, more and more hate crimes president who seems to think that because unemployment rates are low, racism has been solved in the United States of America. I didn't hear it all very clearly. What did he say? Yeah, yeah, he he was essentially talking about the black unemployment rate. Look, it it is true that it's going to take more than the black unemployment to get black voters to support you. But Mayor Pete, it's not like there's a a handful of black folks going to rushing to support you either. Look, (laughs) at the end of the day, as I've said to both political parties, you just can't show up during election time. You have to have agenda for black America. My recommendation for the White House has been to adopt the city. If you see what's happening in Baltimore, what does the president do well? He builds buildings. 
buildings. Adopt Baltimore, build some buildings there, show them what economic development is. Look, the president has a lot of great ideas, the opportunity zones, but a lot of the people in the community, average day people aren't feeling it, they don't know about it. It's up to him to be the messenger. He is his best messenger. I don't think all these outreach people really get how to talk to people. I think the president does. Send them there. I understand it may be a little chaotic and it may be a little bit of political suicide, but this is an un unconventional president. I believe he can do it. Because if he were to get 15% of the black vote, Game over. he wins the Game election. Game over. And the Democrats have a problem because they continue to put candidates up that are lackluster. Uh, there is no other uh, Obama. So they got to find somebody now. I don't think uh, black voters are excited to go out and vote for the Democrats either. So they'll stay at home, which will hurt, hurt the Democratic Party. It will if they stay home. And, and, you know, as I said yesterday, the president doesn't even need 15%. If he got 15%, it would be a total blowout. It absolutely would. He doesn't have to get to 15%, though. He get to 10%, get to 11%. He's already at 8%. Uh, he, he begins to pad uh, margins with other groups. Well, speaking of, of Democrats looking for a savior, they're really, really desperate for Deval Patrick. Now, Deval Patrick is the former governor of Massachusetts. He and Obama are friends. He is black. That's one unstated problem with the uh, candidates is that they're all too white, save for Booker and Harris, who are floundering. The major candidates are all too white. It's a, it's a problem. The Democrats think they got a problem in Georgia because they don't have any black candidates running. Who's going to inspire and, and, and excite black voters to turn out if they don't have a black candidate? It is uh, being poisoned by identity politics. The idea that a black voter cannot be inspired or excited by a candidate unless they are black uh, has has creeped into the democratic mentality and you would think that kamala harris or cory booker could uh it could do something with that but they can't and they can't in large part because of joe biden and joe biden who is a white guy and does have massive support for the black community has it because he was barack obama's vice president and democrats are growing concerned that biden could not beat Trump if there were an election. Even though the polling is fantastic for Biden against Trump, they remember what happened to John Kerry in 2004. In 2004, John Kerry was actually ahead of George W. Bush in the polls. I mean, John Kerry, I, I think at one point the polls were like 55-45 in John Kerry's favor. Republicans were freaked out. And so what did the Bush team do? Remember those ads? I mean, this is before the Swift voting, Swift, Swift boat voting. Uh, the Bush campaign experimented with, with initial web ads uh, that they then put on TV. Remember John Kerry on the, the wind sail and he's going back and forth, flip-flop John Kerry. And they turned it into a thing, flip-flop John Kerry. You don't know which position John Kerry's going to take. And it turned into a big thing, big enough that it made John Kerry mad, and it made the Democrats mad. I was on TV, and whoo, I called John Kerry a flip-flopper, and you would have thought I, I had uh, committed heresy I, for the Democrats. I guess I did. They were livid with me over that. Um, I, you know, that was 2004, so I, where was I? I would have been on MSNBC. That's why they were mad. Uh, in the last two weeks of the election, I got to cover uh, the campaign for MSNBC, went up there, uh, got an appearance on TV, and referred to him as a flip-flopper on, on one of the segments I did. And holy cow, the Democrats were upset about that. Of course they were. George W. Bush successfully defined John Kerry. And the Democrats are worried that Donald Trump is going to define Joe Biden as out of touch, corrupt, and uh, too old to be president, that, he, that he's too befuddled too easily to be president. 
and they're worried about that. They they need a savior. They need someone to come in and save them. And so they're looking at Deval Patrick. When is the utter Biden collapse going to happen? Uh, it keeps getting predicted, and it hasn't happened. He, he continues to, to lead the polls, and, and, uh, and he continues to have his South Carolina firewall after Iowa and, and New Hampshire. So, um, you know, it, it, that's the one thing about the shape of this race that really hasn't changed a whole lot and I don't know that Deval Patrick's uh, entry I know that he's a favorite of, of a lot of the Obama people but I don't know that his entry is going to change mm-hmm. that basic dynamic that is Eddie Glaude. he's he was on uh, MSNBC and, and he's right they keep adding candidates you know every candidate you add to the Democratic primary helps Joe Biden at least I think I, I think so because it prevents the other candidates from gaining traction. Consider Elizabeth Warren, who who skyrocketed, and then people started examining her medical plan, her medical plan that now more and more looks like it would bankrupt the nation. Listen to Joe Scarborough talking about Elizabeth Warren. She's run a great campaign. Uh, again, she's really done all of the blocking and tackling right that you'd want in this campaign. But right now, that momentum, at least for now, seems to, hit a, to have hit a ceiling. And then you've got Mayor Pete in third place, right there. He's right there in Iowa. Uh, Mayor Pete's right there in New Hampshire. Uh, Suddenly, well, a lot of things happening here. Um, It it is just an absolute free-for-all. That seems to be very good news for Mayor Pete. It also seems to be, at least for today, good news for Joe Biden, that at least in this one poll, uh, he is maintaining a lead, even though it's a very small lead. Now, this is the Quinnipiac poll, among other things, is showing that Joe Biden is moving ahead in New Hampshire. And this is notable because Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are from neighboring states. And so they were presumed to have an advantage in New Hampshire uh, that they clearly do not have. And if Joe Biden can hold on to this, it's it's good for him. Uh, fundamentally good for him if he can hold on to this. I I don't know whether he can, uh, but it shows he's still a viable candidate at a time they continue to try to write Joe Biden off. I don't think they can write off Joe Biden as much as they want to try, but they're desperate to find someone else. Here are the names that people are are going gaga over. Uh, They are going gaga over Deval Patrick, the former governor of Massachusetts. They are really excited about the prospect of Eric Holder. Eric Holder, you know, is going around suing a lot of states over redistricting. He's going to states that have Republican legislatures but uh, left-leaning Supreme Courts, and he's getting Democrats on Supreme Courts to throw out uh, redistricting. He's been successful in Pennsylvania. He's working in uh, North Carolina right now. He's actually making inroads here in Georgia, Texas, and elsewhere with these groups building a name for himself. Some people are floating Hillary Clinton, that Hillary may come back in. Yeah, we'll see it on Hillary. I I wouldn't hold my breath there. And you know the other name that's being floated? Michelle Obama. That's right. Michelle Obama is being floated as a name that Democrats want her to, to get in the race. Now, that's not going to happen. I, Michelle Obama is not going to run. Uh, there's there's fundamentally no sign of that happening. Uh, Barack Obama himself has been very quiet, in large part out of respect to Joe Biden. He doesn't want to endorse Joe Biden. Uh, you know, some of the Democrats on stage have attacked uh, Barack Obama. So he's staying out of it. He's keeping his head low. I, I am told that he is very concerned about Joe Biden's staying power, 
but that Obama himself thinks that Biden has the best shot at beating Donald Trump. Even Barack Obama is worried about Elizabeth Warren, and it's causing all sorts of problems out there on the campaign trail, and Joe Biden has hit on a message on the campaign trail about Elizabeth Warren, uh, and I actually like this. I, 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 want to, well, I want to play this criticism from Joe Biden about Elizabeth Warren, and I think it is spot on. I don't know who convinced him that this is a criticism he should raise and make stick to Elizabeth Warren. But by God, this is the one that I think it gets under her skin is going to make her react. It makes all the, the, the people in the press who've been trying to make her happen, uh, angry. And I think it's just perfect. Senator Warren, of course, has said that she's not going to be raising those taxes, as you know, right? She has a different plan. You talked about her support for Medicare for all last week. Um, you attacked her. I think it's a fair word. Your, the quote was from you, it's just an elitist attitude about you're either my way or the highway. Let's get what? something straight. She attacked me. She went out and said, Biden, she didn't use my name anymore than I used her. She said, Biden is a coward. Biden, Biden is in fact in the pocket of. Biden is, and she went down the list of saying that I, I should be in a Republican primary. She did say you were in the wrong party. Oh, yeah, right. Now, what do you call that? What do you call that? So I responded by saying, no, no, here's what I said. It's not about her. It's about the attitude that exists right now. If you disagree with me, you must be bad. There must be, there, you, they question motive. Look, we can disagree. I respect your view. I really do. What I was talking about is you go home and you tell everybody people are busting their neck and the kitchen table conversations going on tomorrow morning, like in the house I was raised in. And you say, by the way, I know you don't think we should raise your taxes on this, but this is good for you. This is good for you. What do you mean? But Where'd what, that come from? What specifically is elitist about how she's pursuing Medicare for all? No. The attitude that we know better than ordinary people what's in their interest. I know more than you. Let me tell you what to do. Listen I'm to the crowd. She's the elitist. Crowd. The attitude is elitist. That people can't make up their own minds. You like your health insurance, but you shouldn't like your health insurance. You should have to give that up. I'm going to demand you not have that. We're going to give you something better. I like. I'm, I know what I want. So that is an attitude that says, okay, you're telling me it's my way or the highway. And it's not about her, it's about the attitude out there. The attitude that we know best, you do it my way. Where I come from, growing up in a middle class neighborhood, the last thing I liked is people telling my family and me what we should know, what we should believe, as if somehow we weren't informed. That we, just because we didn't have money, we weren't knowledgeable. I resent that. And I wasn't talking about her, I was talking about the attitude that if you don't agree with me, get in the other party. I'm more of a Democrat from my shoe sole to my ears than about anybody running in this party. Okay? Including her? Including everybody. You know, she used to be a Republican, allegedly. Um, this is this is fascinating, and this is a criticism that works, and, and you heard it with the crowd. Elizabeth Warren is an elitist, and what we have going on in this country right now is a populist uprising against the elite. Uh, the people who have told you for years that they and the bureaucrats uh, could figure everything out for you, take care of everything for you, understood everything better than you, were smarter than you, could make decisions for you, could shape the economy for you, could uh, shape macroeconomics for you, could shape uh, laws and regulations 
questions for you and that they knew best and you just needed to get with the program. And if you didn't want to get with the program, you were a racist, you were a bigot, uh, you didn't know it was in your own best interest, you needed to be stopped, uh, you needed to be taxed, you needed in some way to be punished. And that is Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren out there telling people that uh, she knows best. She's going to get rid of Medicare. She's going to get rid of their private insurance. She's going to put them on Medicaid for all. She's going to tax billionaires. I, people intuitively understand if you tax the billionaires, the billionaires are going to go where they're not going to be taxed. They have the money to do so. Her latest whopper, by the way, listen to this from Elizabeth Warren out on the campaign trail. Uh, average family of four spends about, with insurance, spends about 12,500 bucks a year out of pocket. Think about that. 1,000 bucks a month, a little over that. On deductibles, premiums, co-pays, doctors that are out of network, uh, prescriptions that the drug company won't. You know, that's not true. She's being uh, laughed at today for saying that. You've got four people in your family. You, what do you pay per month in healthcare? You know, in, in my family, we, we pay that or more, but my wife has cancer. But the average family of four, what, what do you pay? What do you pay? I bet it's not that much. And Elizabeth Warren is being ridiculed today for saying that on the campaign trail. She says stuff like this. You know, for all of the press calling the president a liar and fact-checking the president— They don't want to fact check Elizabeth Warren. She lies about the smallest things, her Native American heritage, how she got her job, how she was fired, how she changed her job, uh, how much people pay out of pocket for health care. The media would never fact check her in the way they fact check the president of the United States. And here comes Joe Biden saying, you know, she's an elitist. It's actually a pretty big deal. And he's absolutely right on the fact. Absolutely right. And you know, he's about to get excoriated from the press for daring to say so. Yes, you should. Text recipe to 33777. I don't know what I'm going to send out tomorrow. I'll come up with something good for you guys. Keep sending out stuff for the holidays, stuff for for breakfast you can make. You know, we're not doing it this year, but typically we get my whole family over to our house for Thanksgiving because I'm tired of traveling by then. And we do all the cooking and cleaning and I make big breakfast that you can do a, a savory and a sweet together in the oven. You can make them the day before, stick them in the in the oven. I'll have to send send that stuff out. I guess I need to send my cinnamon roll recipe out at some point, too. Uh, you can text recipe to 33777. By the way, speaking of texting words, uh, I had on David Limbaugh yesterday. If you text the word data, D-A-T-A, uh, to 33777, I'll send you back a link to his new book. Um, you can catch the podcast uh, to rehear that interview yesterday. I, I mentioned Elizabeth Warren's healthcare plan and her claims on cost, among other things. Uh, $15 trillion extra dollars to the annual deficit. This is not the national debt, but the deficit. The deficit. She would add $15 trillion to the deficit with her plan, according to a, a um, think tank research paper that has come out. Avik Roy, who is a center-right uh, health care policy analyst, has looked at this. The left already pushing back on it, saying, oh, well, you know, he, he's on the right, but his numbers actually hold up. And it's got even Democrats a little bit concerned. This is from uh, the foundation. Oh, what is this? Uh, Freep is the found the. Um, oh, come on. Yes. Uh, foundation for research on equal opportunity. 
It is a nonprofit think tank, and this is just crazy. Uh, the subtitle of the, the fiscal analysis of Elizabeth Warren's health care plan, without rosy scenarios, Medicare for all could increase the federal deficit by $15 trillion by 2029 which is insane, the amount of money it would add. And by the way, there are a lot of Democratic partisans coming out saying basically the same thing, that uh, the amount of money that Elizabeth Warren would have to raise uh, cannot be obtained to pay for her plan. You could tax every billionaire in this country and every hundred thousandaire a hundred percent of their money, and you would not be able to raise the money from our economy to pay for Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for all plan. Now, What is Elizabeth Warren's response to all of this? That she's got a plan. She's actually attacking all of her rivals by saying, well, they don't have a plan. They're just attacking me because I was the one brave enough to put out a plan. And of course, progressives are seal clapping that, but her plan is terrible. Warren and her advisors estimate her proposed tax increases and other policy changes will increase federal revenue by $21.1 trillion from 2020 to 2029. We estimate they'll raise $12.1 trillion over that period. We estimate the slower economic growth caused by her plan will lead to a loss of $3.3 trillion in additional tax revenue and that the size of the U.S. economy will be 12.5% smaller in 2029 due to a decade of slower economic growth. Slower job growth will primarily harm those who incomes and employment prospects are below the U.S. median. Now, why would it slow the economy? Because so many small businesses would be taxed, not just large businesses, but small businesses would be taxed in such a burdensome way to cover the health care costs of others uh, that they would have to slow hiring, if not cut jobs. Uh, There would be economic catastrophe in this country based on her plan. By the way, based on Bernie Sanders' plan as well. Uh, They've hired a bunch of left-wing economists from Berkeley to try to say their plan uh, works, but the fact is uh, there's this super rosy scenario by which it works and the super rosy scenario never actually works think about all of the congressional budget offices scenarios for medicare and medicaid and costs and they've been getting those wrong going back to the 1960s when we come back there's polling out in georgia about impeachment some surprising results over a hundred million people have had their personal information stolen in data breaches social security numbers contact details credit scores so much more all taken from capital one customers there's a good chance you were affected these kinds of attacks are getting more frequent and more severe and it's not just capital one equifax facebook ebay uber playstation yahoo they've all had uh leaked password issues credit card issues bank number issues in fact i had to get a new debit card last week It just showed up in the house with a note saying one of the online vendors uh, had information compromised. And so you need to use something like ExpressVPN to help ignore this stuff. You can't control how big corporations mishandle your data. You need to understand that. But you can protect yourself. ExpressVPN is an app for your computer and phone. It encrypts and secures your data. If a breach can happen to Capital One, it can happen to you. Now, you don't want to go online without ExpressVPN. And if you care about your privacy and safety, You really need ExpressVPN. It connects with just a click. It's lightning fast. It costs less than seven bucks a month. And it's the number one VPN provider by TechRadar, CNET, The Verge, countless others. Use my special link, expressvpn.com slash Eric. Right now, arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show. Protect yourself. Get ExpressVPN. That's expressvpn.com slash Eric for an extra three months. 
Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the second hour of the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia, around the nation, although I'm not streaming on Facebook Live or anywhere today. I'm on a backup computer because why? My Mac's keyboard finally bit the dust. I don't know if you people have been paying attention to this, but the but Apple used to have the, probably the best laptop on the market, uh, genuinely so, uh, award-winning laptop. And in 2016, they decided to redesign the keyboard and everybody's keyboard breaks. And mine has finally broken, and so it's in the shop. So I'm on my wife's uh, laptop, uh, which is a smaller version of the MacBook, the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Mine's a 15-inch. Hers will eventually break too because it's the same laptop design, but just garbage. Apple spent so much time building its fancy new office complex. They let their computer quality go down the drain. By the way, speaking of computer quality, uh, the first hour I started with uh, Disney Plus launching this morning, it's crashed. The whole service is crashed. Uh, amazing. You, you can't get on it right now. Uh, people are trying to log in and it's crashing, but that suggests there's going to be huge, huge pinup demand for it. Netflix can be gloating this morning, but you know Disney has the resources to work this out. There is some breaking news at the moment. Uh, the United States Supreme Court has rejected an appeal. It will not stop a lawsuit against Remington Arms by family members of the people killed by the Sandy Hook in the Sandy Hook shooting. Um, that's going to be a big deal. We've got some DACA news out there as well we will get to. But a couple of things out of the out of the gate first. Uh, first one is the weather. The f- cold front continues to move through Georgia. Uh, it is now, it was when I started this program here in Macon, it was in the upper 50s. It's now 46 in Macon. Uh, when I started the program in uh, Athens was... was uh, the Athens temperatures dropped every, uh, and suddenly my computer, my wife's computer now deletes all of them, but I'll give you a sense of it in Rome right now. It's 36 and Clarksville. It's 43 and Blue Ridge. It's 30 uh, temperatures dropping all over the place. It was in the mid fifties in Athens. When we started the show, it's now in the forties in Athens, 36 in Adairsville. Atlanta is 36 as well. Rain clearing out in the Northern part of the state, moving into the Southern part of the state where it's been in the sixties and upper fifties. Temperatures are going to drop there too, closer to the thirties as the front moves through. It's going to be very, very cold tonight throughout the state of Georgia, north to south. Right now, this cold front, it is breaking all sorts of low temperatures. We went from just a month ago with uh, massive numbers of high temperatures breaking, now massive numbers of low temperatures breaking, and you guessed it, uh, environmentalists are out saying this is all because of global warming. Of course it is. Uh, prayers for Jimmy Carter. He is in the hospital. Uh, he has some internal bleeding, I believe, on his brain uh, from the fall that he suffered, and uh, they're trying to resolve that situation. Uh, just be in prayer for him, his wife, and family as he tries to recover. Now, let's get into the Georgia polling on impeachment. Um, this is actually what is what is f- the most fascinating data point for me. The AJC has conducted a big statewide poll on impeachment in Georgia. What is most fascinating about it is that the state of Georgia reflects the nation. Uh, If you were to poll South Carolina, uh, if you were to poll Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, what you would probably find uh, based on registered voters is that they're slightly more pro-Trump. Georgia, however, is uh, right where the nation is. A majority of Georgians favor an impeachment inquiry. A majority of independents favor it. An overwhelming number of Republicans oppose it. But 
that's just like the nation. And then there's this, a majority of independents, Republicans, a, ma- a slight majority overall of Georgians oppose convicting the president. Everybody's okay looking into it. Nobody really wants to throw the president out. My suspicion is a majority of Georgians would rather deal with this at the polls. We're less than a year from the election. Let the voters deal with it. But nobody thinks there's a big deal looking into it. Now, this helps somebody like David Perdue. It helps someone like David Perdue, who's going to be on the ballot uh, facing a, a very partisan Democrat who the odds are will have already staked out a claim on impeachment. And in so doing... Um, he is uh, going to face an electorate that says, you know what? We don't need to throw the president out of office. We can deal with this at the ballot box. Uh, he's going to face a majority of independents and a majority of Republicans taking that position. It is only a, a large majority of Democrats, but what's so interesting is there are fewer Democrats who want to convict the president than want to investigate impeachment. Now, again, this shows you the dynamics in Georgia, and it's uh, one reason Republicans don't have to worry is because Atlanta just kind of dominates the numbers. The metro areas that are already anti-Trump dominate everything, uh, and the Republicans have redistricted safely around this. Uh, This angst, though, that you see with voters may actually impact Republicans ultimately in some of these state legislative seats uh, where partisan hostility towards the president is taken out on Republicans at large as people who are viewed as an enablers of the president, but uh, there's some some breathing room in there. There's also some issues for Democrats and some concern. Take, for example, the 6th and the 7th Congressional District in Atlanta. Uh, You got Carolyn Bordeaux and, uh, man, how many people are running in the 7th Congressional District? So, you know, I've got an evening show and I, I need to, because it's Metro Atlanta, uh, this show is is outside of Metro Atlanta. That show is inside Metro Atlanta uh, to cover the full state. And I I need to bring all of the candidates, at least all the Republican candidates on in the 7th and the 6th. But I think there are more Republican candidates running in those two congressional districts than there are Democrats in this country running for president. There's just a massive number. And it's going to take me weeks to interview them all. I'm probably going to have to do one a night by phone or something. Normally, I would do this in, in a studio and interview them. There's just no way to do that now. There are so many people running. But the 7th and the 6th are swing districts. And the 6th, the Republicans don't have Lucy McBath ranked highly as someone they can displace, although they would like to try. They're hoping Karen Handel can get the nomination because they would very much like to beat Lucy McBath with Karen Handel. Uh, But I'm I'm not exactly sure that they're going to be able to do it. And, I mean, Karen Handel would be the best one, but the Republicans nationally are starved for resources. They've got a limited number of seats they can pour money into. It's gonna ha- They're going to have to rely on Karen Handel's fundraising to do it. Impeachment, though, helps her. Impeachment helps because the voters in the 6th, just like the voters in the 7th, which is Rob Woodall's seat, um, but he only won it by a couple hundred votes against Carolyn Bordeaux, and she's got to run through a primary again. Voters in these districts, they don't really want the president convicted. They're okay with an impeachment inquiry. But man, when you get to the point of someone like Carolyn Bordeaux, or it will, not Bordeaux, she's not in, but Lucy McBath, who is in, in office now, you get to the point of her voting for articles of impeachment out of the House of Representatives, that becomes a campaign issue against her. And you've got to remember, in 2016, that district was Republican. And it, this is one of the most frustrating things lately in the media. The media would have you believe 
there has been a massive demographic shift between 2016 and now that somehow there are orders of magnitude more Democrats now than there were just four years ago. It's like they multiplied, they cloned themselves, and they're they're just they're filling up congressional districts in ways they never have in the past. And that's not really true. It is true that there are some districts where suburban women in particular have turned against the president. But what is also true is that a lot of people didn't turn out. Republicans didn't turn out in 2018. Republicans did not turn out any more than they would at a midterm. And Democrats were fired up and they turned out like it was a presidential election. In fact, Stacey Abrams got more votes in 2018 than um, Hillary Clinton did in 2016. Because she was able to energize uh, Democratic voters. They turned out in droves. And uh, she was still able to lose. She didn't win. Now you get into 2020 and you've got Republicans will turn out at a presidential level and Democrats will turn out at a presidential level. And that helps Republicans. You know, that's one reason, by the way, uh, and I really believe this. we'll, We'll find out. But I really, really, really do believe that one of the reasons the Democrats are pushing the uh, voter fraud, voter theft, voter suppression, uh, voters can't vote narrative so hard is because they know things aren't going to work out in 2020 in a state like Georgia. They've already got to build up the narrative now uh, in anticipation of 2020 that, that voters are going to be suppressed. They want to go on and build claims for lawsuits uh, it, already in battleground states. In fact, somebody sent me this article. Where is this? Uh, da, 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 da. Um, a buddy of mine sent me this article. Unfortunately, it's in The Hill. I don't try to rely on stuff from The Hill. Uh, I don't like it, but it is Reed Wilson, who is a notable uh, reporter. A year before the 2020 presidential election, Democratic groups are filing lawsuits in new and emerging battleground states, challenging election laws and procedures they say disproportionately affect young and minority voters. Those groups have filed seven lawsuits in recent weeks, challenging election laws in five states. And more suits are coming, says Mark Elias, the Democratic election law expert whose firm is overseeing the litigation. In Georgia, Texas, and Arizona, coalitions of Democratic groups are challenging state laws that will list Republican candidates first in any given race. Social science research has found that a candidate listed first on a ballot can benefit by as much as 2.5 percentage points, though what ex- that's what experts call the primacy effect. Especially given the history of Republican efforts at voter suppression in Georgia, the result from the last election should not undermine who wins the next one. Last year, Georgia's governor race and two congressional races were decided by one percentage point or less. In Texas, Representative Will Hurd won re-election by half a percentage point. So the law that they're challenging is a law that Democrats themselves wrote. You see, uh, in states, uh, a lot of states, Georgia being one, Texas being another, North Carolina being another, the rule is that the incumbent governor's party goes first. So whoever wins, uh, they get to go first. If you're an incumbent, you go first. And if it's an open seat, your party goes first. And they want to change that. The Democrats were fine with this law when they were in charge. 
Now that they're not in charge, they're opposed. Now, some states, you know, like Texas, for example, uh, in the general election, there is a um, in the general election, the incumbent goes first. But otherwise, there's random drawings. And in primaries, there are random drawings for who goes first in some states, not in Georgia. In Georgia, the incumbent always goes first. This is another example of Democrats challenging rules and laws they themselves wrote when they were in charge. This law in Georgia about uh, first on the ballot is the incumbent, that's a law that has been on the books for at least 20 years, going back to the Democrats being in charge of the state. You know why the Libertarians have a candidate in Georgia and the Green Party does not? The Libertarians get a candidate in Georgia because Tom Murphy, the Speaker of the House, long dead now Speaker of the House in Georgia, he was one of the most powerful people in the state, served, he was the longest serving Speaker of the House in the nation for a while until Republicans took over the state legislature and booted him out. Uh, He lost an election in a Republican wave here in Georgia. But uh, Tom Murphy decided that he was going to let the Libertarians have ballot access because he saw Republican dominance beginning to come on in the state of Georgia. And as the Republicans were coming on to the state of Georgia, he needed a way to limit them. And in so limiting them, he knew that some people would vote Libertarian instead of Republican, and that would keep the Democrats in charge. So the Libertarians got ballot access. The Green Party never got ballot access. I think the Republicans in Georgia need to give the Green Party ballot access. I don't know why the Republicans in Georgia don't give the Green Party ballot access. If the Democrats can give it to the Libertarians, give it to the Greens. Give it to the Jill Stein group. Why not? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. It really is remarkable the laws that the Democrats are trying to contest now are the very laws that the Democrats put in place. I guess they know the weaknesses in the laws because they put them in place. But what they're having to do is rely on activist judges. And I don't know that that'll work in Georgia, given Republican dominance in the state now for some time. uh, The Republicans in the state have... um, They've got a, a good bench, and the the president has aggressively put judges on the bench in Georgia and on the 11th Circuit, so they may be able to get around this. But it's going to be interesting to watch Democrats suing, uh, and when they get into the legislative record, it's going to be a bunch of Democrats who pass these laws, and that's not going to stop them. They are playing for keeps, and I don't know that Republicans really understand uh, just how aggressively the Democrats are suing governments around the nation on ballot access laws and the like, completely trying to undermine election integrity and casting aspersions on elections. Uh, At at a time, you've got Democrats now running articles saying Republicans need to come to terms with losing in Kentucky. Why won't Matt Bevin concede? Uh, The Democrats still haven't conceded in Georgia. They're still bitterly clinging to that, thinking Stacey Abrams is somehow governor. Uh, The hypocrisy knows no bounds, and it's just notable that the media does not call them out on it. Well, here's you an, an interesting story. Have you ever been to Savannah and gone to Flacco's Tacos uh, down in Savannah? It's a chain of taco shops in Chatham County. That there, there are several of them in Savannah. In fact, let's see. Um, Flacco's Taco. Yes, Flacco's Tacos in Savannah. Uh, they've got a fast, fresh made from scratch uh they've got locations bear with me there there's a oh so it's a national franchise uh, but they've got locations they got them all over the place it appears um interesting well the, the reason i i bring up flacco's tacos is because the owner has been arrested 
<laughs> Why was he arrested? Well, oh, is is this? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, Flacco's house. Yes, yes, yes. Um, why was he arrested? Well, the owner of several Savannah and Chatham County taco shops has been arrested on drug charges. According to the police, the Chatham-Savannah counter-narcotics team arrested Adolfo Mitchell, aged 34, on November 7th after he surrendered to police. Mitchell, also known as Flacco, is the owner of Flacco's Tacos. He's charged with conspiracy to traffic meth. In 2016, Mitchell was the subject of a large narcotics investigation involving law enforcement agencies from Chatham County to Portland, Oregon. Police said Mitchell conspired with others to have large amounts of crystal meth shipped to him from across the U.S. for distribution. They said Mitchell directed others to transport crystal meth to other states, including Virginia. Mitchell was first arrested in March of 2018 after a Georgia State Patrol traffic stop reportedly found him in possession of marijuana and firearms. A juvenile was also in the vehicle. He was rearrested in May at one of his restaurants on additional juvenile-related charges and released. Well, he is is going up the creek now. The taco shop. Uh, the, I'm, I'm just... I'm fascinated by the story because it's like, you know, I never really even thought about it. Money laundry. Where does money laundering come from? Well, you know, I mean, there's there are a lot of people who say it, it comes in large part because mob operations operated laundromats and that's how they got their money clean. Essentially, what they would do is uh, they would make money from drug enterprises and they would run them through a laundromat and the laundromat would not wash the money. It would take the money as if it was uh, payment for services rendered with with uh, cleaning clothes. So the money was laundered. And I, there are all sorts of, I, I, I've heard about this, it's like the Asian theme massage parlors you see all over the place that are never, never busy, makes you wonder what's going on. Uh, and, and restaurants and, and things like that that are never never busy. What on earth is going on? Uh, well, here, uh, the, this taco shop, uh, the owner was running meth through the back of the restaurant. Allegedly. Allegedly is key. I love this. I, I got on the website. We're located just east of I-95. We can deliver north and south. <laughs> I bet you can deliver straight up 95 to Virginia and south into Florida. He may be responsible for Florida man. You never know. Sending crystal meth down to Florida for Florida man. <laughs> That's just, we're located just east of I-95. Order online or carry out. <laughs> I don't see on the website where you can order the crystal meth or the marijuana. <laughs> wow. Oh, be, be wary, be wary, people. <laughs> okay, we have other things we need to talk about besides the crystal meth dealing taco shop owner. Uh, <laughs> in Georgia, there's an alliance forming between the Braves, the Falcons, the Hawks, and Atlanta United. And I, 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 you know, listen, I, I get the whole soccer thematic still, but, but it seems like we're, we're missing an opportunity here. You got the Braves, the Hawks, the Falcons. Can we not come up with another bird for Atlanta United? Or maybe they're winning because they, they foregone that. Uh, but nonetheless, the four of them have gotten together and they want the state of Georgia 
to authorize sports betting in Georgia. Georgia is the 12th biggest state for illegal bets. All of you people getting on your phone or online to place bets, you're breaking the law in Georgia. Even if, like, you live in North Georgia, you drive across the state line into Tennessee, perfectly legal to do it in Tennessee. Same in Florida. Same in the Carolinas, but here it's illegal, and they want it changed. We'll discuss. I'll take your phone calls, too. Yes, you can go to theresurgent.com. You can also email call here. You can call here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Jimmy Carter is out of surgery and is resting comfortably, according to local headlines which is a good thing. Um, be in prayer for him, Rosalind Carter, and their family. Uh, Georgia is seeing something slightly unique here in that the major pro teams in the state are, well, all the pro teams, I should say, not just the major ones. They are teaming up. Uh, the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Falcons, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Atlanta United have formed the Georgia Professional Sports Integrity Alliance They've sent a letter to state lawmakers asking them to legalize online and mobile sports betting. Now, what's so interesting here, this is the first time they've ever done that. Uh, The the Braves, Falcons, Hawks, and Atlanta United, well, and separate out Atlanta United, if you will, to a degree in that they're new. Uh, The Braves, the Falcons, the Hawks, they've been around for a while, and they've never done anything like this. And yet now they have, and they want to legalize it. And one of the, part of their argument is Georgia is the 12th largest state for illegal wagering. It's not going away. It's why we must ensure the industry is above board and transparent. Uh, let me just read you. This is um, from the AJC interviewing with Derek Schiller, the president and CEO of the Atlanta Braves. We felt it was important that we form this alliance so we could advise the legislature if they're going to consider drafting legislation. The coalition's goal is ensuring that this activity that is happening already gets regulated in the right way and for us, most importantly, that we ensure that the integrity of the sport is preserved. Now, they've tried several times in Georgia to legalize this. Uh, and here's part of my frustration, and, and this really, this is the argument that bothers me, and it always bothers me, and it's the one that always comes up, particularly among opponents, is... Everyone's already doing it, so let's legalize it, regulate it, and tax it. You know, people are already murdering, so why don't we legalize murder? We'll regulate it, how, how you can murder someone, and we'll tax you. You'll, you'll have to pay for the privilege of murdering the other person. Everybody's already doing heroin, so why don't we legalize it? We'll regulate it, we'll control it, uh, and we'll tax it. Everybody's already smoking weed. I mean, the, the, the weed is the next one. Everybody's already doing it, so let's legalize it. We'll regulate it. We'll tax it. That's what California's doing in other states. And now we're here with gambling. There are arguments to be made for it. I think that's the weakest one. One of the the chief arguments to be made is not that everyone else is doing it, but the surrounding states are doing it. If other states are doing it, particularly next door in Tennessee, uh, Florida, Tennessee, and, and elsewhere have already embraced sports betting. Georgia is losing not just revenue. Georgia is losing customers. Georgia is losing people to those states. 
and so Georgia should consider the fact that other states are doing this, and because other states are doing it, uh, we should do it. It is very much in my mind similar to the uh, brewery legislation. If you'll recall several years ago in the legislature, Georgia was one of only five states where a brewery that made uh, craft beer, that brewed craft beer of the state, could not sell directly to customers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, every state but five, including Georgia, uh, Georgia being in the five, in every other state, you could you could go to a brewery. North Carolina is a great example of this. In North Carolina, you could go to a local brewery in the Asheville area. Asheville is filled with a bunch of uh, bearded hipsters brewing beer. And you could go to one of the breweries and you could get a growler, one of the, the, the large containers uh, filled with beer and take it home and enjoy it. And that was illegal in Georgia. You weren't allowed to do it. Georgia has a very weird system in, in, in that uh, the brewers and the distillers have to sell to distributors and the distributors have to sell to stores. Uh, there's no direct sales to individuals. Well, they changed that. Uh, it, it was a multi-year process. Uh, major corporate interests uh, that, that appreciated and benefited from the old system kept trying to sabotage it. And the system finally broke down and they were able to get something through where you can now go to... We'll go to Reformation, go to Jekyll, go to Terrapin, go to Sweetwater, go to Red Brick, Red Hair. I mean, there, there are so many of them. Um, you can go and you can buy beer on premises and take home. The quantity is limited, but you can still do it. And the reason Georgia ultimately did this is because it was impacting a, a new economic engine in the state. The, the amount of craft beer breweries that were exploding in the state, I mean, it, it's amazing. I mean, what are all of them? I, I mean, you got, you've got Terrapin has taken off. Uh, you've got uh, Sweetwater 420, or Sweet, Sweetwater is probably the biggest. Monday Night Brewing in Atlanta, Reformation, um, Red Hair, Wild Heaven, um, Red Brick, uh, Jekyll, uh, you name it. There's just a massive number of breweries in the state of Georgia now. And they couldn't sell to their customers. So the legislature finally uh, got a clue and did the right thing and, and freed the beer, as, as they said. The hashtag for the movement was free the beer. And they did. And that has spurred now further growth and more brewery development. And that's the way I look at the sports betting situation is it, it's not a situation of it's illegal. We should legalize it because everyone's already doing it. Um, no, we, we shouldn't, uh, make an argument like that, that because people are, uh, people are breaking the law, we should get rid of the law. People should respect the law, but the law should also respect, uh, what is happening in other States to make sure that Georgia is not at a competitive disadvantage and in other States, particularly Tennessee and Florida and North Carolina. Now they've legalized sports betting, but that being said, on the first argument that we shouldn't we shouldn't just do it because everyone's already doing it. Georgia is the twelfth largest state for illegal sports bets. In fact, there are people in the state of Georgia who make bets on sports on their phone and they don't even know it's illegal in Georgia. They don't because everybody, all their friends are doing it, particularly in college campuses. Among uh, twenty and thirty something young men, the, the, this is the, this happens all the time. 
they fly out to Vegas uh, and they, they do sports. I was out in Vegas with some buddies. And listen, I'm not opposed to gambling. I, I think casinos would be a terrible idea in Georgia for, for reasons we don't have to get into right now. It, it would be horrible for Georgia to have casinos. But I'm not opposed to gambling. I was in Vegas uh, last weekend with some buddies. In fact, I, I don't gamble. I, I've, I've never gambled. So a buddy of mine gave me some of his money and said, you're going to gamble with my money. I'm going to teach you how. And I realized, y'all, I am 44 years old and I can't do addition in my head anymore or subtraction. I can do multiplication. I can even do division. I can do uh, trigonometry in my head. But nine plus five, I got to pull out my fingers and count. I've hit that age. Of course, I, I was never good with addition. I never sat down when I was a kid and started memorizing. My kids are like, what's five plus five, 10, five plus six, 11, five plus seven, 12, five plus eight, 13. I, I can do that myself. I, I got the basics. Two plus two is four. Three plus three is six. But what's 9 plus 7? Um, what is 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16? Okay. I mean, that that's that's where I am in life these days. Now, last night I sat on my front porch with a friend of mine. We had bourbon and scars on the front porch last night. And I could explain to him why we can hear the interstate at our house during the wintertime, and you can't hear it in the summer, uh, due, due to the ability of sound to pass through dense air. I could totally do that. But you asked me what 7 plus 11 is? Well, I mean, that one I can get. But 7 plus 8? Uh, in any event. Or we, we got a bunch of people in the state who are already doing it. They don't even know it's illegal. And other states around us are doing it. They've figured out a way to regulate it. And it's different from casinos. And, you know, part of the problem here, if we're really honest about the argument, a lot of the people who are opposed to sports betting are opposed because they're afraid it opens the door to casinos. And I really actually think if the legislature were smart here in Georgia, they could take casinos totally off the table. You know, one of the other things the state wants to do, as some of the the members of the legislature want to do, is horse horse racing. Uh, they they want to they, they believe Kentucky has this huge horse betting industry, and we should be able to race horses in Georgia and bet on them, and that would spark a new industry in Georgia. I don't know about that. I I don't care. I I I don't really care about the the horse issue. Uh, my concern is is the casino. Well, hell, I might as well go into this. Um, so here's my concern with casinos. Vegas is in a desert for a reason. Other states have never been able to truly sustain a casino industry. And in states that build casinos and put casinos, particularly in urban corridors, what we find is local restaurants are negatively impacted. Local music and entertainment venues are negatively impacted. Uh, local families are negatively impacted. Local shops are negatively impacted. Uh, divorce rates go up. Bankruptcy rates go up. Crime rates grow up. Prostitution rates grow up. Drug addiction rates go up. Gambling addiction rates go up. Bankruptcy rates go up. All of these things are from independent, non-industry-backed uh, studies, academic studies and governmental studies. A host of social ills increase so that the government is having to spend more money uh, to uh, fend off and and curb and and protect from the social ills than they get from the casinos. And all of these states that have casinos say the same thing, that they're going to use the money to benefit their education scholarship. And all of those states have not seen the money come in from the casinos to be able to benefit uh, their their um, education scholarship. So your Hope Scholarship in Georgia would not really benefit from having a casino in the state of Georgia. Uh, all of the economic data suggests that would not be the case. In fact, the, the state has a hard time betting against the House as well. 
So I'm opposed to casinos, but I find the sports betting to be different because there's also plenty of data on the sports betting that one, it is going on in high numbers. Two, uh, yes, there are people who struggle with it in, in addiction, but because you're not going to an environment like a casino where you're there all the time, it is less of an issue. Three, uh, sports are seasonal. They're, they're on certain hours. They're not 24-7, so it becomes hard to pull someone in like you can at a casino sitting at a poker or a blackjack table or a slot machine. I'm not opposed to the state uh, allowing the Braves, the Falcons, the Hawks, uh, Atlanta United to build some actual facilities at their locations where people can go in and watch other games and place bets while the big game is going on. So, for example, you go to the Braves stadium and you want to watch the Braves game, but you also want to bet on other games. Uh, they, they got them on TV. You go into a facility and you can place bets on those games while you're at the Braves game. And the place that the hours are set based on the game that you're at. Hell, put one at Sanford Stadium. I'm okay with that. It's the casinos that draw you in and keep you there for 24 hours where you don't see the sun shining. You just keep betting. And those are the places that cause all the social ills. Again, Vegas is in a desert for a reason. But there's going to be opposition to this. And frankly, the opposition is going to come from friends of mine. Uh, a lot of friends of mine are very opposed to this. I've got friends in the legislature who are opposed to this. And I've got friends in the legislature. In fact, uh, one just texted me a few minutes ago. I'm just now, I, I just picked up my phone. And a friend of mine in the legislature just texted me, please shut up. Not helpful. I'm just telling you what I think. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with me. I'm just telling you what I think on this. I'll tell you about another subject, what I think, and this is going to offend some of you. There's been a measles outbreak in Cobb County. Kids who haven't been vaccinated are getting the measles and giving it to other kids. I have a real hard time being graceful with this one. I, I, I really, really do. Because we know that the MMR vaccine works. And we don't take for just, just some of you, I, you're, you're already lighting up the phones. I'm not taking your phone call. If you're an MMR conspiracy theorist, we know it works. We know that the uh, rise of recurrence of measles directly corresponds to typically rich white people deciding that they're not going to give their kids vaccines. Y'all listen, Oh, I should not go there, but I'm just, I'm in a bad mood today anyway. So I'm going to, it's like the, the essential oil cult. Uh, God bless me. I just, I, I went there. Forgive me. Yes. The essential oil cult. Uh, we have, we have friends. My, my wife has an entire box of essential oils. And if you, if you think it's good, that's fine. But I know people who do homeopathic treatments for stuff like flu. They don't do the flu vaccine. They don't do the vaccine for, for measles, the MMR. They don't do all the other vaccines. They just want to give their kids essential oils and stuff. I've had someone tell me that I could cure my wife's cancer by giving her frankincense and essential oil. <clears throat> I don't buy it. The science doesn't buy it. Uh, but we live in an age where people we're, – we're in a post-truth age, and it, it, it goes beyond politics now. Where people, they, they don't believe the medical industry. They, they believe that doctors are trying to profit by keeping you sick or some such. I don't quite understand it, but there is a, we live in an age where people do this, and so they no longer trust the MMR. We have been able to wipe out 
major diseases around the world, and they're now coming back in rich areas of the world because it's the rich white people in particular who are like, oh no, that that's that's going to give my kids autism. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give that drug now. Is is there a correlation? Listen, there's plenty of scientific evidence that says uh, there is no correlation or no causation. There is correlation. The uh, kids sometimes show their autism symptoms around the time you're giving them booster shots or some such, but there's no causation. It's not that the the shot causes autism, but you got a bunch of rich white people freaked out because some celebrity said there was, and they don't want to do it. And as a result, they're getting other kids sick. You've got this outbreak in Cobb County, uh, suburban Atlanta, because a group of people suspicious of the vaccine, they didn't want to vaccinate their kids. And now all the other kids, including some young kids, aren't getting the vaccine, who haven't had a chance to get the vaccine or getting measles. I got to tell you, my wife has cancer. She has a weakened immune system based on the drugs she has to take to keep the cancer at bay. And I resent like hell the people who walk around deciding that they're not going to get the vaccine and they're not going to give it to their kids and they're going to let their kids be sick and walk around the rest of us and get other people sick because they're going to get my wife sick. My wife gets the flu shot every year. Last year she got the flu. It's the world we live in. It is disrespectful and you're being a bad citizen if you're going to go out and say, I'm not getting my kid vaccinated and I'm going to trot them out into the world so they can get everyone else sick. I have a real problem with that as a parent and just as a member of society. And yet we're seeing more and more and more often than not, I got to tell you, it's the Christians who are doing it. And I don't understand why God is not going to protect your child from getting the measles. He gave you a doctor and the genius to invent a vaccine to keep your kid from getting the measles. So go get them vaccinated and stop getting everyone else sick. I got to play this clip of Elise Jordan talking about Nikki Haley. The the Nikki Haley book tour continues. In fact, we just had a package dropped off and it was her book. I'm going to be on stage with her in Dunwoody. Uh, just north of Atlanta, if you, I think the event sold out. I, I'm not sure. Um, she's on her book tour. She's coming through Atlanta. She asked me to be on stage with her uh, this weekend, uh, this Sunday evening in Atlanta. I will be up there with her, hanging out, asking her questions, talking about her book. I got to read the book between now and then. Uh, I want, but I want to play this clip from Elise Jordan. Let's switch gears for a second and talk about Nikki Haley. She's out in her book tour, and in her book, she says that she was approached by um, a couple of the cabinet members, John Kelly being one of them uh, to say that the president was doing dangerous things and would she get on board with trying to stop him and she says how inappropriate it was and they should have told the president any indication that she told the president not from my read of the excerpt she have told the president if she i think that when the president is trying to do something that is illegal advisors have a responsibility to counsel the president that no this is illegal we cannot follow through and through in your order. If the president is trying to push a policy preference that an advisor is opposed to, and the advisor uses their own position to thwart the democratically elected leader's aims, then yes, that's out of line. But I think that I would differentiate between illegality and policy preference. What do you make of, of Nikki Haley right now? And I think Nikki Haley's betting big that Trumpism is going to survive and that that is the, going to be the prevailing current within the Republican Party. Why? Yeah, well, the idea here is clearly she's looking out for her political future in a way that almost no one else in this administration, except for Pence and Pompeo probably, are, are considering, you know, running in 2024, running in 2028, and looking after that. Their thinking is that they can't be seen to be running against Trump right now, but that, you know, they're clearly all leaving themselves enough wiggle room moving forward from here. And what she is saying is essentially, I was the adult in the room, but I wasn't willing to stand up to the president because he didn't need standing up to. 
Man, there are a lot of people who are trying to live vicariously through Nikki Haley and are deeply upset that she is not willing to go there. Uh, Savannah Guthrie had a very contentious interview with Nikki Haley on the Today Show. A lot of people angry with Savannah Guthrie over her treatment of Nikki Haley. I got text messages this morning from people. Are you watching this? This is re- I've lost all respect for Savannah Guthrie. Meanwhile, on the left, they were like, yeah, get her, get her. It just, I mean, it, there's there's so much wish casting out there right now on the Nikki Haley situation where people stand on Nikki Haley. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting to me in that it genuinely depends on whether or not you like Donald Trump, where you stand on some of these issues. And listen, I I don't have a lot of love for Donald Trump. I'm certainly voting for him. I know him. We've talked on the phone several times. Uh, I've got a lot of friends who work for him. The vice president's been a longtime friend. Nikki Haley's been a very longtime friend of mine. And everybody's trying to muddle through and figure out what they need to do, what they don't need to do, how they can say things, uh, how they can... Uh, how they can speak up when they feel like they need to speak up. and But everybody wants them to speak up on everything. Everyone wants to be outraged on everything. Everyone wants everyone else to be outraged on everything else and to speak up and say the exact same thing. There is no grace left in politics these days for people to disagree on how to proceed, particularly in a turbulent time where no one's really sure what's going on or how we got here or where we're going. And that leads me to impeachment. A little more on Nikki Haley when we come back. And then impeachment and why I still think the whistleblower needs to come forward. Yo, I got a sponsor this week. I am so excited about it. I've actually been waiting for this news um, because I'm a subscriber uh, to their English uh, publication. Uh, the Spectator is coming to the United States. The Spectator is uh, the longest running magazine in the English language. It's been published in the UK since, gosh, I, it's like 190, 191 years. And now it's getting ready. It's going to do an American edition. It's launching, uh, well, it started, I guess, last month in print. It's going to be delivered monthly. The US edition is going to be just like the UK magazine. If you know anything about The Spectator, it's brilliant. It's fearless, uh, very honest, and very conservative. Doesn't mince words when it comes to conservatism. And it's just, it's tremendous. I highly, highly encourage you uh, to get it. It's going to have Christopher Buckley, PJ O'Rourke, uh, Christopher Caldwell, uh, Toby Young, uh, Roger Scruton, so many more. You'll get British humor as well, which I grew up with overseas. I am a huge fan of The Spectator, literally. I'm not just saying this because there's sponsor i didn't even know they were going to sponsor i'm so excited i love the spectator uh you can check it out go to spectator.us slash subscribe that's spectator.us slash subscribe and then use offer code eric e-r-i-c-k you'll get a free trial do it you will love the spectator it is so great to finally have their voice here in the united states Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show, the phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Savannah Guthrie making progressives happy, conservatives angry today over uh, the Nikki Haley interview she conducted. Um, It's... I mean, it's been, well, burning up the airwaves today and burning up social media. Let me play you a couple of excerpts here from this. 
for me. I am way over time, but let me just quickly, because it's been out there and you worked in this administration. Did you ever have any doubt about the fitness of this president? To I serve? never did. Any doubt about his mental acuity? I never did. Any question about his truthfulness, his ability to tell the truth? Savannah, I talked to him multiple times and when I had issues, he always heard me out. I never had any concern on whether he could handle the job and ever. What about his truthfulness? Did you think he was a truthful person? Yes. In every instance that I dealt with him, he was truthful, he listened, and he was great to work. Well, the left is tearing up Nikki Haley over that, and, and the right, Savannah Guthrie, having the audacity to to question her, the audacity to say stuff like that, the audacity to suggest maybe he wasn't mentally fit. It was a combative interview, much more so than I think people were expecting. It wasn't a bad interview, mind you. Uh, but it was it was definitely combative. It was not a free ride for Haley, which is fine, I think. This morning in her first live interview, since stepping down as ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley told us she does not believe that the president's July phone call with the leader of Ukraine qualifies him for impeachment. But she did have some criticism. No, I think it's never a good practice for us to ask a foreign country to investigate an American. It's just not a good practice. Having said that, there's no insistence on that call. There are no demands on that call. It is a conversation between two presidents that's casual in nature. And, you know, it's just hard to find anywhere that the president of Ukraine would have thought funds were being held and that he had to do this. You know, I got to tell you, and I I realize this is somewhat repetitive of yesterday morning, but... She's getting savaged by a lot of people on the right, Trump supporters who think she's not loyal enough. Uh, a lot of people said, oh, maybe she's trying to get rid of Mike Pence. You know, there was a rumor floated by some in the White House that they were trying to convince the president to oust Mike Pence and put Nikki Haley in. And that's never been so. It was never going to happen. Anyone who understands the relationship between the president and Mike Pence understands that's not going to happen. And yet the rumors persist. You know, Nikki Haley has always been dogged by a lot of rumors uh, of people who don't uh, like her and think she's too ambitious. It, you know, it, it really is striking to me the number of people who just think that a woman cannot be. And, and I hate to play that card because I, I think it's such garbage half the time. But it's striking even in Republican circles that here comes this upstart woman from South Carolina who thinks that she can somehow uh be aggressively involved in politics and, and they resent it. They resented it in South Carolina. They resented it in the Republican party nationally. The establishment resents it because Nikki Haley came through on a wave of a tea party sentiment in, in uh, South Carolina. And she maintained her integrity in Washington, DC taking the perfect job for someone in her position. She was the UN ambassador in, in New York city. So she wasn't regularly in the white house. So she's got some distance there and people recognize she's ambitious and people recognize she would like to position herself to run for president in the future and she should she would be great but man people are out to get her all of a sudden my buddy jay caruso has column in the independent over in the uk and uh he's an editor for the washington examiner i want to read part of this to you one of the more disturbing aspects of modern American politics is the ascent of the zero-sum game. The divided culture in which Washington, D.C. and many state governments operate means the concept of everyone wins is no longer an option. While it's prevalent within Congress and the White House, making it nearly impossible for important legislation to get passed unless one party controls the House, Senate, and White House, it's also an intra-party, intra-party phenomenon. 
Within the base of the Republican Party, the mindset applicable to Donald Trump is you, you're either with him or you're against him. There's no middle ground, and the same goes for many conservatives and Republicans critical of the president. Any praise for him is indicative of complicity or normalizing Trump's otherwise abnormal behavior. Any criticisms is evidence of disloyalty. We're witnessing that mindset in hyperdrive with the release of Nikki Haley's new book, With All Due Respect. The former ambassador to the United Nations speaks highly of Trump at times and spoke out against the president's impeachment. That was enough for Haley to get crossed off a lot of Christmas cards lists. Uh, Matt Lewis, columnist for the Daily Beast, tweeted out one particularly uh, damning phrase, Nikki Haley is someone I once respected. Similar sentiment flowed throughout social media, but the truth is that what seems black and white is probably shades of gray. Come 2024, and whether Trump is ending his second term or a Democrat is running for re-election, the GOP will need a candidate to step up. Nikki Haley is clearly thinking long-term, surveying the current political landscape, looking five years down the road, and the reality is no matter how much people want to see either the Trump-friendly wing or the establishment wing eradicated, it's not going to happen. And that creates a challenge, and Nikki Haley is shrewd enough, largely saying what I said yesterday. We're all muddling through present politics. Every single one of us is muddling through. None of us knows what comes next. It used to be fairly predictable in the past. None of us really knows right now. There's a, 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 a needling little sense in the back of a lot of people's heads that something wicked this way comes, war is coming, something China, Russia, something. Events change things. There are fundamental dynamics that are changing in this country. We're living at a time of turmoil and tumult. We're living at a, at a, a time when... Uh, what is up now seems down, and what is down seems up. We're, this is just such a weird time to be alive, and no one really has the answer. And in a situation like that, everyone's got to muddle through in their own way, at their own pace. We don't really know. We don't really know what things are going to look like. A year from now, four or five years from now, Nikki Haley doesn't know. You don't know. But I suspect that her calculation is right, that we're going to live in an age where the Republican Party will still exist, is probably going to be badly damaged in off years, if not elect in presidential election years. But the establishment will still be there and Trump voters will still be there. The only thing going away is Donald Trump. Because of our constitutional system, Donald Trump is term limited. And if he wins re-election next year, he will be term limited in 2024 and will not be able to run again. There are those who make the case for purity so much so that they want to drive any politician off the stage who dares says anything nice about the president. There are those who, in their drive for purity, uh, want to drive off stage anyone who says anything critical of the president. There are plenty of things to criticize this president for, plenty of things to praise this president for. And the purity politics of this age, it's not based really on principle. It's Everyone views it as principle, mind you. Everybody views it as principle. The people who hate the president view him as anathema to their principles. The people who love the president view everyone else as anathema to their principles. But the, the fact here that everything is decided based on the principle of whether or not you like the president. And in a dynamic like that, 
it is going to be hard for people to figure out where to move forward and how to muddle through it all. And that's why I, I, I'm a big believer in, in needing more grace in politics right now. Uh, we need grace to abound in politics between all of us because nobody really knows where this country is going to wind up. No one knows where the Republican Party is going to wind up. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We've got to take care of today. Let tomorrow sort itself out. Jesus is right in that. I mean, Jesus is right in everything. But uh, he, he, in this conversation, he's right in that. Tomorrow will figure itself out, and we got to figure out today. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but you're certainly, if you're in politics, you got to make plans today to weather the storms of tomorrow. And Nikki Haley, I think, has made the precise calculation that whether you like it or not, Donald Trump's voters are not going away, and the odds are they're going to stay in the Republican Party. See, here's what I think is actually going to happen. And again, events change things. I could totally be wrong. We, we we shouldn't prognosticate out too far. But I just I get this sense when I talk to friends of mine who are still highly involved in the Republican Party. And I get this sense when I talk to elected Republicans. Uh, a particularly I get this sense when I talk to elected Republicans. They really think that we can just go back to the way things were. Now, people who are really involved at the grassroots level understand that's probably not going to happen. But there are a lot of politicians who think, you know, when Donald, Trump's when Donald Trump leaves office, we will have to spend a few years saying the things you're supposed to say, the polite things you're supposed to say about a president who is dearly loved by a part of the base. But while they're saying the things... They think they'll be able to steer things away from Trump's policies. And in some degree, they'll be able to on NATO, on even climate change. They'll, they'll concede some. By and large, foreign policy will stay, but domestic politics, that'll change. But they don't really know where it's going to trend. And I'm, I really do think, and I get the sense from all the conversations I have, that there are people who think that Donald Trump is going to fade away, they will still remain, they will still be relevant, and they will slowly but surely be able to twist ever so slightly more and more away from the president and back to the way things once were. And a lot of these people may be skillful, but they've never really understood Trump's voters. They've never really uh, appreciated them. They, they still, to this day, hold them in contempt. And they're going to open their mouth and they're going to say something that wrecks them with this crowd. Haley, on the other hand, I, I know Nikki Haley. Uh, Nikki Haley in 2009 started running for governor. I, I started fundraising for her in 2010. I stood on the steps of the state capitol in South Carolina and introduced her and Sarah Palin. And Sarah Palin came to endorse her. Uh, Nikki and I have known each other for more than a decade. She was a Tea Party conservative. You know, back in the day when the Tea Party was a thing, I always thought it was funny how the media talked about all these white people and the, these were closet racists. It was the Tea Party who gave you Mia Love and Alan West and and uh, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and Bobby Jindal, uh, Ted Cruz. Uh, the most diverse group of Republicans you've seen came out of the Tea Party movement, Nikki Haley being one of them. So she kind of intuitively understands the Tea Party because she was one of them. She ran as the Tea Party candidate in South Carolina for governor, and she won. 
and she bridged a gap with the establishment. They didn't like her, but they respected her enough. She was able to get things done. She's one of the people who is threatening to the establishment because she can bridge the gap with Trump voters. And she's one of the the people who threatened some of uh, Donald Trump's acolytes in politics because she can bridge the gap with the establishment. And you've got these voices out there. Listen, I I know and like Matt Lewis. I really do. He and his wife are dear, dear, dear people. Um, I just I think the world of them both. And I, I think Matt now is so against the president uh, that even someone like Nikki Haley is trying to thread the needle and, and he's he's out of grace. He, he's, he's tired of seeing these people do that. He wants particular things said. He wants things done a certain way. And I understand that. I understand the frustration. I understand where he's coming from, but I think it's wrong. And someone like Nikki Haley, we know who Nikki Haley is because she has a track record. She has a track record going back to her time in the South Carolina state legislature. She has a track record of being publicly critical of the president of the United States, who at the time was her boss. To throw her under the bus because she's not willing to come out and say, yes, the president should be impeached, I think is a failure on the part of those who who have become so poisoned in this atmosphere against the president uh, that they are setting themselves up for disappointment in the future by ensuring that only the president's uh, chief acolytes can ever advance to power in this country. You're, you're essentially uh, scuttling the ground under which someone who isn't of the president's demeanor but was closely allied with him can come forward and try to bridge the gap in a way that the president really even hasn't done with the establishment and, and, and Trump supporters. This is not going to end well for the people who want an alternative to Trump if they keep marginalizing and ostracizing everyone who is an alternative but isn't willing to go to the extent that they are in their condemnation of the president. Stuff like that really does matter ultimately, and Nikki Haley's tried to thread that needle. The needle's got to be threaded by somebody. She's probably best able to do it, and attacking her and throwing her into the bus for for how she's doing it I think reflects poorly on other people, not on her. It is 24 after the hour. Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to call in and be a part of the program, it is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. My brain just, y'all, it's it's one of those days my brain has just gone blank. Oh, I know what I want. Oh, that that's why my brain went blank because because I, I clicked into something and then what I was looking for disappeared. I, I, I gotta I gotta play this for you. Um I gotta play this for you. The the coming Democratic air war against the president, I don't know that it's gonna get them as far as they want. And my solution is to say to Israel is you got three point eight billion dollars every single year. All right. If you want military aid you're going to have to fundamentally change your relationship to the people of Gaza. And so this is not just rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, which I will do right away. It's actually using every lever of foreign policy we have from our foreign aid to countries making a contingent on climate uh, action. You would, you would not necessarily want to leverage USAID to Israel to push him to do that, is what you're saying? Well, you know, that would not be my first move. Uh, I'm not saying that would never happen. We need to make sure that any such cooperation and funding is going to things that are compatible with U.S. objectives and with U.S. law. We spend a few billion dollars on aid to Israel. Um, Would you ever consider using that aid as leverage to get the Israeli government to act differently? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially about Israel, will you make American aid conditional on a freeze to settlement building? 
It is the official policy of the United States of America to support a two-state solution. And if Israel is moving in the opposite direction, then everything is on the table. And you would be prepared to Everything is on the table. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. The coming Democratic air war against the president of the United States is going to be in large part on the idea of a quid pro quo that uh, the president engaged in a quid pro quo with Ukraine. Probably three-quarters of Americans don't really understand what a quid pro quo is. To the extent they do, it's you scratch your my back, I'll scratch your back, and everybody's A-OK with it. And here are the Democrats now. In this montage, they're all essentially saying they're going to use American money and American power to coerce and compel other countries to take actions that we want. The Democrats will say the president is muddying the water over this stuff, but I don't know that he actually is muddying the water over this stuff. I, I, I think it, it, it's pointing out that they all do it. And it really tells you something about the state of the Democratic Party that at a time they're accusing the president of a quid pro quo, they're all very comfortable going out and saying stuff like this. I think that's going to really hurt the Democrats. Uh, you know, I, I also think what's going to hurt the Democrats is the whistleblower. It, it is amazing to me how the media has circled the wagons around the whistleblower. His name increasingly, well, a name, uh, keeps coming up, keeps come getting out there. Republicans, in fact, there was a transcript of a conversation with Bill Taylor where where one of the, the House Democratic uh, staffers asked him, whether he had had contact with this guy and Bill Taylor had, why would you ask that if he wasn't the whistleblower? So the odds are he probably was. And it's increasingly clear the guy is a, a partisan progressive activist. That is why the media is, is working so hard to keep this guy's identity secret. It's very much like the doing stuff behind closed doors. Uh, you know, I thought it was appropriate to do stuff behind closed doors. But very clearly, in the minds of the American public, uh, there were optics at work that worked against the Democrats, keeping everything behind closed doors. Uh, the American public wanted sunshine on this. So this week, starting tomorrow, they will begin having public testimony. Uh, out of the shadows, they will begin having public testimony. We, we will cover the play-by-play -play here on the Eric Erickson Show as best we can, and we'll take your phone calls on it as well as it's happening as best we can. Uh, we will we will uh, play the audio as best we can during this time. I know a lot of stations uh, that we're on don't necessarily have the resources to take stuff live. We will navigate through the impeachment hearings. But if they don't make the whistleblower public, I continue to believe it undermines their case. And when they do make the whistleblower public, I think it's fair game for Republicans to note just what a progressive activist the guy is. And that, I think, is why the Democrats don't want to be public in this situation. I think that is why the Democrats are working overtime to protect this person. Very much like the behind-closed-door stuff. The behind-closed-door stuff uh, worked against the Democrats. It, it, they had to come public because the American people thought, you know, if this is impeachment, we should be able to see it too. The Democrats, when the whistleblower blew the whistle, continuously said, hey, uh, we need to see this person in public. And now they're saying, no, no, he's irrelevant. I, I think you reveal that this guy is a partisan Democratic operative then it undermines the very foundation of impeachment in the minds of many Americans who are willing to keep an open mind. And that's why the Democrats have to go through great lengths to keep it all quiet. 
want to read you a couple of headlines. Um, you'll be able to get the sense uh, real quick of how they are in common. This is from Fox News. Supreme Court case of Trump versus Dreamers may come down to Chief Justice Roberts. I'm sorry, that was the, the LA Times. When the, the Fox News one uh, is DACA heads to Supreme Court. All eyes are on Chief Justice John Roberts. There, there's a similar story in the New York Times, a similar story at Politico. Uh, John Roberts, he's not a bad guy, but he clear as a justice, he's pretty awful. As the chief justice, he has politicized the Supreme Court by trying to take the Supreme Court out of politics. It is very, very clear to everyone now that John Roberts can be persuaded by the press, by pundits and by political arguments. And so now everyone who writes about the Supreme Court writes to persuade John Roberts. And I think he likes the attention. Someone told me that he was at a party at the White House a while back. All the justices were there. I think it was for for Kavanaugh. Maybe it was uh, before that for Gorsuch. And he kind of stood in the corner by himself. Uh, everyone else had people around to talk to. And nobody really wanted to talk to the chief justice. He was just a, an isolated figure. Uh, but he likes being wooed by the press, clearly, and, and the press kind of gets it that uh, we now know, for example, in the census case that John Roberts is perfectly happy to allow the census to ask whether or not someone's a census, but was persuaded by political arguments that this president shouldn't be allowed to do it. It's very bizarre behavior for a chief justice. The Supreme Court today uh, is taking up the Trump administration's plan to end uh, DACA, uh, the protections for 660,000 immigrants uh, who may be deported. Uh, DACA gives undocumented immigrants brought into the United States as children a chance to receive a renewable two-year period of deferred action for deportation uh, and become eligible for a work permit. Uh, legal experts uh, look back on Roberts. I'm reading now from Fox News. They look back on Roberts' June vote that blocked a citizenship question from appearing on the 2020 census. The Trump administration claimed that Americans have the right to know who's in the country illegally. So important for our country that the very simple and basic, are you a citizen of the United States question can be allowed to be asked, Trump tweeted. Linda Greenhouse, a New York Times columnist, she used to be, this is funny, Linda Greenhouse is a far-left columnist for the New York Times who covers the Supreme Court. Do you know what she used to do? She was the Supreme Court reporter for the New York Times. She focuses on the Supreme Court, and she wrote last week the parallels. They're striking. She wrote that Roberts called the Commerce Department's claim contrived. The department claimed the question needed to be included so the Justice Department could do a better job of enforcing the Voting Rights Act. Well, dreamers are really, really hoping that Roberts will side with them. Uh, but the Los Angeles Times has pointed out that John Roberts wrote in the travel ban ruling last year that the country's chief executive oversees immigration enforcement, and he handed down two major immigration wins for the administration. They cited the Supreme Court did with President Trump in allowing him to enforce the travel ban on visitors from some majority Muslim countries. And John Roberts also supported uh, Donald Trump shifting military dollars to fund his border wall. So no one really knows, but they all know it's going to come down to John Roberts. This this politicization of the Supreme Court by the chief justices is bad, but I tell you, it opens up the Supreme Court justices, other Supreme Court justices, to attack. Neil Gorsuch and Clarence Thomas are being called on to recuse themselves from the DACA case. The reason is because they spoke to a conservative group, and that conservative group uh, is opposed to DACA. Therefore, they are biased. 
this wouldn't have happened except John Roberts willing to politicize the Supreme Court. We're going to do these things. It's, it's unfortunate to see. We'll keep our eye on it, keep you posted. As I mentioned earlier, the other bit of breaking news is the Supreme Court is allowing the Sandy Hook case against Remington to go forward. That's an unfortunate decision in large part because there's a federal statute that prohibits gun manufacturers from being sued for um, people using guns to commit mass violence. And the Connecticut Supreme Court, uh, too clever by half, tried to get around it. And they shouldn't have been able to legally, but the Supreme Court, of course, going to let the case go forward anyway. Uh, This from the Associated Press, the Supreme Court said Tuesday, a survivor and relatives of victims uh, can pursue the lawsuit. The justices rejected an appeal from Remington that argued it should be shielded by a 2005 federal law preventing most lawsuits against firearms manufacturers when their products are used in crimes. The case is being watched by gun control groups. The court's order allowed the lawsuit uh, filed in Connecticut State Court by a survivor uh, to go forward. The lawsuit said that Madison, North Carolina-based company should never have sold a weapon as dangerous as the Bushmaster AR-15-style weapon. The families are grateful to the Supreme Court, blah, 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 blah. It was a four-to-three decision uh, in the Connecticut Supreme Court. Even the chief justice of the Connecticut Supreme Court wrote in opposition to the lawsuit going forward, saying they're absolutely contravening federal law. But the Supreme Court now letting them go forward, the Supreme Court getting woke on, on gun issues, I suppose. Uh, the, the politicization of the court under John Roberts, it is going to completely undermine yet another institution that so many Americans, the last institution, frankly, of government that people somewhat respect it. Now, uh, something else that is being undermined in this country, and you'll forgive me for going there. Do- Donald Trump Jr. got heckled, booed off stage at an event in California for his book Triggered. He was there with Kimberly Guilfoyle. And uh, the crowd was a pro-Trump crowd, and it booed and heckled him. Yes, it was a pro-Trump crowd, and it booed and heckled Donald Trump Jr. Why? Because a good portion of the crowd were alt-right students. The alt-right is a group of racists, uh, largely on college campuses, who believe uh, that this is a, supposed to be a white nation, and that policies that benefit white people should predominate, and that the president uh, should not support Israel because Israel is Jewish and not a white nation, and we are beholden to Israelis, and we are beholden to Semitic people in the Middle East. It is offensive that this has gotten gained steam, and you know, the media blames Donald Trump for this. And of course, they're laughing today that Donald Trump Jr. is being uh, targeted by these alt-right guys. You know, Ben Shapiro, for example, is routinely hounded by these people. They have harassed Ben. They have harassed his family. Uh, and they part of it is they attack him for not being a true Trump loyalist. Apparently, to be a true Trump loyalist, you've got to be white. They were very upset with Donald Trump on Friday coming to Atlanta to try to rally black voters for Trump. They, they believe we have to be a white nation. I got a real problem with this stuff. I would note, in large part, it is a group of college kids, a very vocal group of college kids, and essentially it's, it's a fraternity of college kids nationwide uh, trying to be bombastic and and fire up racism and, and try in some way to be in charge or feel in charge of their destiny and make it all about white nationalism and whatnot. And they also pervert the gospel message, too, to do this, claiming somehow Jesus, a Jewish man, would embrace their message, which is nonsense, a, a, a God who sees neither Jew nor, uh, Jew nor Greek, 
would not embrace a white nationalist message. But but here you go with it. I also think there's something to be said for the fact that the media gives these people a bigger platform than they deserve. Oftentimes, one of the things we're seeing in the media these days is they give the worst characters the biggest platform. Whether it's to ridicule them or allow them a platform, it's it's kind of appalling to see the media because this isn't a massive group. It is given inordinate representation in the media. The media is convinced it's a larger group than it is. Uh, there are certainly a lot of them, but not nearly as much as people think. Uh, they've also harassed Dan Crenshaw. You know Dan Cr- Crenshaw, the SEAL who's got an iPad. She's in Congress now. They harassed him at an event in Texas. College kids, white nationalist college kids, because of his support for Israel. And the media ties all of this stuff together. And the, the, the reason the media likes to amplify these kids, and frankly, they feed off the attention and their numbers grow because of the attention. Uh, the attention gets amplified. It is because they want to tie it all to the president. But in tying it all to the president, they're just making this a bigger deal than it actually is. You, you know, there's as an aside here. One of the phenomena that I think is very interesting in the country is the willingness of the press to try to silence views that they find anathema. And I understand it. Listen, there are views that I think uh, do not need to be mainstreamed. Holocaust denial, for example, does not need to be mainstreamed. There are people out there who deny the Holocaust happened. They are highly litigious. They sue anyone who who tries to discredit them. They sue the media for access, and the media generally has folded. Uh, The American media, however, has largely stood their ground and said, we're not going to give in to this. But what happens, take the Alex Jones phenomenon. Uh, People go on the Internet now, and they go to dark resources of the Internet where they want to find out what's that side's view. And oftentimes people are drawn into these sorts of views. And in censoring these views as opposed to exposing them and ridiculing them, uh, they allow people to be attracted to messages that are twisted and perverted to truth. And it's largely because of the way the media has handled it to begin with. And I don't know that the media is even cognizant of their role in this. The media likes to deny all responsibility for things the media has helped create. I mean, take the Jeffrey Epstein thing. My goodness. Or ABC News. Uh, CNN to this day. They're, they're, CNN is now going after Sean Spicer. Now that he's been voted off Dancing with the Stars. Uh, they're running a big story on how the president deleted a tweet urging people to vote for Sean Spicer now that he lost. And they still won't cover the ABC News' handling of the Epstein story. To the extent they are, they're attacking conservatives. It's stuff like that, the avoidance of that story that makes people want to go in search of news for that story. And those who do provide the news for that story, they attract a following. And if it's a bunch of nutty conspiracy theorists who are developing that following, well, that's in large part on the media because the media refused to tell the story, refused to tell the story accurately, and then silenced all the other views. They open people up to this. Now you got Joe Biden out there saying Facebook should be sued over fake news. The fact that um, Facebook, for example, would uh, take down uh, the ads, the, the bots that, for example, like I said, I know that Putin doesn't want me because thousands of bots were used to try to attack attacking me. Um, and uh, I just think that social media has to be more socially conscious of what is important in terms of our democracy. And part of that is a little uh, truth in lending here and making sure that everything is not about whether they can make a buck. 
it requires the journalistic responsibility you have. You can't do what they can do on on Facebook. You can't do what they can do and just say anything at all and not acknowledge that when you know something is fundamentally not true. And uh, I, I just think it's a uh, it's a little out of hand. And I, for one, think we should be considering taking away the exemption that they cannot be sued for knowingly engaged on in promoting something that's not true. The exemption he's talking about is an exemption that all of us have. You need to understand that. If you if you have a website and someone comes into the uh, comment section of your website and posts something that's not true, you cannot be sued for that person's falsehood. There is a statutory exemption that makes that clear, and Joe Biden wants to get rid of that. On top of that, he, he wants to, to punish people for telling things that aren't true, even if they believe it's to be true. Allow, allow people to be punished when they say something they think is true and it turns out not to be true. There are people who will always take advantage of this. There are people who will always say bombastic stuff. The, the Alex Joneses of the world will peddle incredible conspiracy theories. He's probably going to be driven, uh, driven out of the business by all these lawsuits of all the, the nonsensical things he said about uh, the Sandy Hook families and the like. Uh, he will be held accountable for some of those things. But there are plenty of other things that he has said that no one can hold him accountable for in a lawsuit, but he probably shouldn't have said them. I mean, well, I mean, it's not a problem. He shouldn't have said them. They're not true. But he was able to do it and able to get people riled up because other people are now so easily riled up. It's a very childlike thing when you you know what buttons to push to get someone riled up. And you're a button pusher. You love to push the buttons to get people riled up. And we see this more and more in this country as people uh, start pushing other people's buttons to get them riled up. And right now it's you say something that people in the media decide isn't true. The fact checkers in the media tell you what you're, what you believe is a lie. Uh, you're going to want to amplify, particularly if you believe you're right. If you believe the media is biased, if you believe the fact checkers are biased, you're going to want to amplify it. And what does the media do? They say you need to be punished for it. You need to be silenced. You need to be censored. Uh, the arrogance of the media has gotten us very, in large part, to where we are in this country. Because the media refuses to acknowledge that it plays a role in the increasing antagonism uh, within public society. The media refuses to acknowledge that it has biases. The media refuses to acknowledge that it uh, ignores certain stories because it offends the worldview of the left. And so people more and more distrust the media. And on top of that, when you've got the media now believing they, the people who we all know are biased, should be arbiters of the truth, you got people who want to amplify uh, their wild claims and absurdity just to egg the media on. So much of what we're dealing with in this country comes from a failure of the media to acknowledge its biases and even try to be fair these days. Let's get out of politics here for a minute. My entire family. Uh, so I, I've got a, a 10 year old. He'll be he'll be 11 this December. And he's he's he hit this phase where he's car crazy. Now, I, I never was. And in large part, I never was because I, I grew up in Dubai at that age, and it just it wasn't it wasn't something that I ever encountered. That car culture. Well, some of his friends uh, in school are interested in cars, and he's got really really interested in cars. I mean, really car crazy lately, and he loves Mustangs. And so he saw the preview for this Ford versus Ferrari movie. Then my wife saw it, and my daughter saw it. We all want to go see this movie. It comes out this weekend, uh, Ford versus Ferrari. And I got to tell you, so it starts Christian Bale and Matt Damon. 
And um, let me just read you uh, part of this. Uh, this is from Auto Week. Ford versus Ferrari chronicles the epic battle between the two automakers, but also the fight between American racing hero Carroll Shelby and Ford, and between Shelby and his British driver Ken Miles, between Miles and Ford executive Leo Beebe, and even between Miles and the truck lid, uh, trunk lid of his MG. There's a lot of fighting going on here. The the best might be a hilarious wrestling match between Shelby and Miles after Miles punches Shelby right in the nose with a left jab. Uh, on the surface, the story is about Ford's all-out attempt to beat Ferrari at Le Mans. Henry Ford II might have seen the value of racing as a sales tool, or maybe he was jealous of Ferrari's ability to craft beautiful racing machines that went as fast as they looked. Maybe both. At the time, Ford had the Mustang. Ferrari had the P3. The writer says he believes uh, Henry Ford II was really just trying to impress his second wife, an Italian socialite, whom he married the year before Ford's win. Um, regardless of the motives in the movie, the motive is presented as sort of revenge. Enzo Ferrari rebuffed Ford's attempt to buy the company, but did it in the form of a stream of Italian insults at Ford, his factories, his cards, and even his waistline. And while Ford really did try to buy Ferrari, didn't play out as neatly as presented here. No matter its movie. In any event, the, the, the Auto Week uh, gives this movie... Uh, incredible reviews and it's getting reviewed well across the board. I really want to go see this. The, the, you know, the Hollywood box office uh, has been terrible. So midway there's a new, what is it? Roland Emmerich movie. He's brought you all sorts of action movies. Midway has come out and the 1970s movie was bad. It, It was a general genuinely bad movie and they show it on TV all the time. You don't have to believe me. You can watch it for yourself. It's a bad movie. You would think that they could get Midway right. Midway was a significant turning point in the Pacific theater in World War II. It is an incredible story. It's a story that should be told of American resilience uh, in the face of overwhelming adversity. And Hollywood has flubbed it yet again. They, they've told it, it's almost and you know, I, I go back full circle to the beginning of the hour where I said that the Apple TV plus shows are like uh, infected with wokeness. One of the big controversies in the morning show is that um, the, the Reese Witherspoon character admits on live air she had an abortion when she was 15 years old and it plays out typically. Uh, where advertisers get skittish, uh, all the women rally to her side, the anti-abortion protesters come out and they're anti-abortion, not pro-life, uh, yelling and screaming, and, and they're all just so nasty people, and it, it uh, the whole wokeness and female empowerment and stuff, and I'm just like, man, it, it, the first couple episodes I was starting to get into this, I could tell there was a, a hint of wokeness there, and now it's just going off into it, it, making progressives feel good about themselves, and, and same thing with C on Apple TV Plus as well, uh, the movie with What's-His-Name from Aquaman, where the whole concept is uh, there was a virus on the planet, everyone went blind, and now two children are born. They can see, and, and sight is is considered evil, and, and it, it, uh, it is perverse with religion. There, there are scenes where uh, to pray, the, there's the, the bad tribe of people, and to pray uh, involves um, sexual stimulation. And I'm just I'm increasingly offended by some of the concepts in the movie as as it mocks religious people. I I, I feel like it's mocking religious people. 
and I'm, I'm not sure how much I can stick with it. it, it it's in it, there's I'm sure there's a a global warming parable parable on top of it. And I just I, I'm, I'm not into woke entertainment. And it looks like most of the nation, including woke people, aren't into woke entertainment. Uh, woke entertainment largely means you're devoid of, devoid of the ability to tell a good story because you're so overwhelmed with who you can and cannot offend and what you can and cannot say and how you can and cannot say things. And so when you tell a classic movie from World War II when the world was not woke, how do you tell that story? And how do you make it interesting? Hollywood seems to have lost the ability to tell stories outside of Marvel. And that remains the genius of Marvel. Compare Marvel, for example, to Star Wars. Both are owned by Disney. But after, I mean, even George Lucas flubbed the prequels. But these latest, you know, they're they're apparently reshooting and and re-editing parts of uh, the Rise of Skywalker, this last one. It comes out next month, and they're still not happy with the movie. There's been a rumor out for the last week they may push the launch date for the next Star Wars movie because it's it's failing with audiences. They've brought in George Lucas, if you believe one of the rumors, to try to help them fix it. They can't tell good stories anymore. And one of the reasons I genuinely believe the president is so successful, say what you will about him, he's a good storyteller, and that resonates with people. See you all tomorrow.